This is an interview with Catherine Price. And first of all, it's a sweet miracle that you're even listening to it because I got a new computer and this one had to be a quick reroute and I honestly lost the file. So I am so grateful that I can even bring this conversation to you today because I sought Catherine out. After I read her book, I truly believe wholeheartedly that what she proposes around fun is something that everybody needs to hear. Catherine is a science journalist, and I appreciate the approach she takes in that she's very rooted in practical and scientific ideas. She has a new book called The Power of Fun, which is the book that I was so excited to talk about. But that isn't her first book. She also wrote a book called How to Break Up with Your Phone. And we're going to talk about how those things really do complement each other in this episode. But fun. I wanted to talk to Catherine about fun and how we can have more of it. As you'll hear me in this episode, Muse, I believe that this is one of the things that we are deeply missing in our present day lives. We've forgotten how to have fun. And I hope that this episode gives you some ideas and lights a little spark inside of you so that perhaps you can bring a little more joy into your life too. You can find more about Catherine. She is a speaker and author. And you can find more about Catherine over at her website, catherineprice.com, or more resources around this book at howtohavefun.com. Without further ado, I mean, you've just got to listen. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought, always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Catherine, I'm super excited to have you on Here to Thrive. As I was just saying to you, I literally like stalked you out and tracked you down via your publisher and said, I have to have this woman on the show to talk about this particular book. <laughs> that makes me so happy to hear. As soon as it came across my radar, I was just like, this is what we are missing. We are missing fun in our lives. And your new book is called The Power of Fun. And I do love the journey that you outline in the introduction, highlights how you got to even being interested in fun. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you got interested in the subject? Sure. So my last book was called How to Break Up with Your Phone. And as that might imply it was all about how to create healthier relationships with our technology and to reclaim some of our time and attention that we're currently spending on screens 
which I felt, you know, I felt really good about it. I felt like I was um, in a much better relationship and place with my phone. But I hadn't really realized that that was really just the first step. You know, like once you realize that your time and attention are your most valuable resources and you t reclaim them for yourself, the next step is to figure out what do you actually want to spend them on. And so I had this really kind of existential moment when I was sitting actually in this very room I'm speaking to you from right now. And I was in the midst of taking a full 24 hour break from all of my screens because my husband and I like to do these things we think of as like digital Sabbaths. So I had this whole hour in front of me that I could do whatever I wanted to with. My daughter was napping, my husband was out of the house, and I couldn't think of anything that I actually wanted to do. Like I just, my mind was blank. And I realized I'd gotten so used to allowing my time to be filled by other stuff, you know, things on my phone, that I'd lost sight of how I actually wanted to fill my time. And so I ended up asking myself a question that I had asked people when I was writing How to Break Up With Your Phone, but I hadn't really answered for myself. And I encourage people listening to ask themselves this question too. And that question was, what's something that I say I want to do, but I supposedly don't have time for? Because I was discovering I actually did have more time than I realized. I just had been wasting it on my phone. And so my, my answer to that question was that I wanted to learn how to play the guitar because I had one. I've got a background in piano, but I'd just never gotten around to learning to do anything with it. And I ended up signing up for an adult guitar class at a children's music studio with this man named Mr. John, which kind of hilariously, the adults still call him Mr. John, even though we are <laughs> grown-ups because many of our kids go to his classes. So Mr. John. <laughs> That's so good. It is pretty funny, actually. I realized from the outside, I'm always, well, Mr. John said, blah. That's the reason. And we got together on Wednesday nights and um, what was during the day is a dance studio. And we just learned how to play songs and we sang together and had this amazing experience. And I soon realized that that class was a highlight of my week and that it was giving me this sense of energy that was booing me for the rest of the week as well. I really felt joyfully alive when I was in it. And I became really interested in what that feeling was and how I could have more of it. And at first I thought it was about the skill acquisition because we were technically learning to play the guitar. But then I realized like that wasn't it at all. I mean, we were not trying to be professional musicians. It was just the feeling that it produced. And I realized that the best word I could come up with to describe that feeling was fun. And that is what launched me on the journey that led to me writing this new book, is that I wanted to better understand what fun is. And then I wanted to figure out how I, and therefore other people as well, could manufacture more of it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, obviously, your first book, How to Break Up with Your Phone. When I was reading The Power of Fun, one of the things that struck me right from the get-go was what you just alluded to here, the space that pulling away from your digital devices created, that you were left with this, wow, like, what do I want to do with this newfound space if I'm not, and excuse my Kiwi phrasing here, pissing it up a wall, right? Like you weren't just ignoring your life. Like, how can you live more? I guess the question that comes to me around that is, do you think as a culture, we've forgotten how to have fun? I think we're definitely out of practice when it comes to having fun. And I should clarify, when I talk about fun, my definition of fun is that it's this combination of playfulness and connection and flow, which I could talk more about if you want. But I think we've gotten so used to letting our time be filled and also just kind of numbing ourselves, like self-medicating, whether it's actually with substances or if it's with just passive content that we consume on our screens, that we have forgotten 
what it feels like to truly have fun. And perhaps as a result, it really almost feels inaccessible. I've been interested to see, well, actually, it's kind of, I don't know, it's hard to see that people actually often respond to the idea of fun with this feeling of resentment and almost hostility. Like I sometimes get a hostile response. And I think it makes people feel like, you know, how can I possibly have more fun? Are you not aware that we're in the midst of a global pandemic? Do you not know that I've been homeschooling my kids for the past, you know, year and a half? Like, this seems impossible. But I think that what I've come to discover and what I, I hope to convince people of and help them experience for themselves is that fun is much more accessible than we realize, even in tiny moments. And that once you start to experience it again, and you remember what that feels like, then it becomes much easier to seek it out and prioritize it going forward. One of the reasons I was so attracted to your message of, of fun was that I talk a lot about stress and how we can overcome stress. And self-care obviously is a big part of that, but I like to frame it as nourishment. And I talk a lot about like play or filling up your spirit. And when you framed it as fun, I was like, that's it. It's this re-energizing of our spirits. And you sort of talk about that in the book. What kind of relationships do you see there? Like touching on the pandemic and the fact that we're all stressed and burned out, you kind of frame fun, fun as something that can help us deal with it better. Yes. Thank you for noticing that and pointing it out. Cause I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions we have about fun is that we think we can only have fun if we're already doing well. We can only have fun if we don't feel overwhelmed. If we have the ability to go to some exotic location and have a vac vacation, if we have a lot of money that we can spend and we think of it as the result of things going well, but actually it's the opposite. And that's something that's actually backed up by research as your listeners may already know, there's this theory called the broaden and build theory of positive emotion which puts forth the idea that our positive and enjoyable experiences don't just feel good in the moment. They actually help us build resilience that will help us cope with and endure future periods of stress. So it's very much a tool that we can use to nourish ourselves and to fill up our tanks so that we can deal with all the difficult parts of life. Oh, I agree with that so wholeheartedly. I would love to dive into your definition of fun because that was one of the things that I found I was like, oh, she's broken it down. She's made it so practical. She's helped me understand these core components so I can actually do something with them. And you touched on those three components that make up your definition of fun, which are playfulness, connection, and flow. Could you give us a high level overview of each? Sure. I should clarify from the beginning why I felt it necessary to even do that. Because one of the most interesting things I found about fun when I was researching writing about it is that if you look it up in the dictionary, it does not match what people describe if you ask them to tell them about fun. Because the dictionary will just say that fun is something like lighthearted pleasure or enjoyment or diversion. If you talk about fun with people and you ask them to call to mind some of their most fun memories, which I did as part of my research, they tell you these stories that might be kind of mundane in their details, but have this really joyful energy running through them that goes way, way beyond just mere enjoyment or lighthearted pleasure. So I came up with this definition that I then ran by this large global group of volunteers that I called the Fun Squad to ask if this matched their own experiences of past fun. And that definition, which they confirmed did indeed apply, is just what you said, playful, connected flow. And so to give a high level overview of what I mean by those terms, 
playfulness does not necessarily require you to play games. Like adults often get very uncomfortable if you mention playfulness because I, I don't really entirely know why. Maybe they think that you have to play make-believe or you know, <laughs> build a fort or something. Not that. It can take all sorts of different forms. Playfulness just refers to the attitude that you bring to an experience. It's having a lighthearted attitude and not caring too much about the outcome of what you're doing, of doing things just for the sake of doing them and not worrying about looking or feeling dumb. It's actually quite rare, unfortunately, for many adults. For connection, I noticed that when people told me about their past experiences of fun, and when I reflected on my own, there was a feeling of connection present, a feeling of having a special shared experience. I do think it's possible in some cases to have fun on your own, but in the vast majority of, exp of stories people shared with me, there was another person involved or sometimes another living creature like a dog or a cat, but there was a connection. And that was true, interestingly, for introverts as well as extroverts. And then the flow aspect, that's a psychological term that describes the feeling of really being in the zone when you're totally engaged and present in your experience, you know, often to the point that you lose track of time. So the most common example people will use is an athlete in the middle of a game or a musician playing music. But you can find moments of flow in many contexts in life if you're engrossed in a work project or like right now you and I are in conversation, I'm in flow talking to you. So each of those states, playfulness and connection and flow are really good for us when they happen on their own. But when all three happen at once, something magical occurs. And that is the feeling that I think of as fun. I love it because I'm like, as soon as you gave me those three concepts, I was like, oh my gosh, like it all makes sense. When I add these ingredients together, I have fun. Which brings me to true fun versus fake fun. I would love you to just give us a little bit of a update on this is what leads to true fun. So what is the opposite? What does fake fun look like? Right. So this all gets back to the fact that there's not a good definition of fun, despite how often we use the word. So I realized that that lack of a good definition actually leaves us really vulnerable to anyone who wants to sell us their product or their service and tell us it's fun. We're just not going to question it. We'll just start to use it. And then we'll think of it as fun, even though it might not actually result in playful connected flow. So I realized that if we want to make better decisions about how to allocate our leisure time, we have to be able to tell the difference between true fun, as I just described it, these things that do result in playful connected flow, and what I think of as fake fun, which are activities or products that are marketed to us as fun, but that don't actually result in playful connected flow. But interestingly, ones that are often engineered, so they do kind of give you an initial jolt of pleasure, but then make you feel gross afterwards. So in a way, fake fun is kind of the equivalent of junk food. And the primary example, the easiest one for most people to understand would be social media, right? It's designed to get us to use it compulsively. It does often deliver a quick jolt of pleasure because you get something new or some kind of affirmation, but then it's hard to use in moderation and you end up feeling disgusting afterwards. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it doesn't lead to playful connected flow. So the better you get at kind of calling out sources of fake fun in your own life, whatever they may be, the easier it will be to reduce the time you spend on those things, which in turn will give you more time for the stuff that truly does lead to playful connected flow, the things that bring you fun. It struck me because the work I do, I was like, because when you've been sucked into your phone, when you've been in fake fun, you don't come out the other side feeling nourished. Yes, I think that's a key takeaway. That's something you can do as a check with yourself, right? Like, do you feel energized and nourished and refreshed? That's a sign that you had true fun. If you feel kind of gross or apathetic or empty, 
You did not. That was really <laughs> fake fun, right? It's a, but it's interesting because once you start to think about it that way, it becomes really obvious. Like it's not, it's just the matter of, of re, like training yourself to just notice it. You also mentioned in your research, you would ask, or I don't know if it was your research, but you'd ask people, what do you do for fun? And they'll often say, oh, I watch TV. And it's, you're like, no, 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 no. Well, it's interesting because I noticed this, well, to, to back up for a second, I think there's also this important third category, right? We've got the, the true fun, fake fun, but then there's also a lot of activities that we do that we genuinely do enjoy or we find relaxing or entertaining. They might not result in full-on true fun, but they're still worth our time. So it's interesting to me to ask people what they think of when they think of fun and then watch them go through this process for themselves. So for example, I've seen numerous people say, well, I read for fun, reading is fun. And then without me actually saying anything, I see their thoughts start to, to progress. And they're like, you know what, actually is reading fun or do I just enjoy reading? And then they say, I'm not really sure that reading is fun. I just really, I find it relaxing or it's a really nice escape. You know, but fun that normally, and they'll often say, oh, that's really with like other people or it's doing stuff. And so I think that's really just interesting to think about. I love reading. And I also think if you love watching a particular TV show or you love movies, like by all means, keep doing that. But there is this point at which it goes from something that is genuinely enjoyable to something that makes you feel gross. And most of the time that that grossness happens as a result of something that you're doing on a screen, if for no other reason that those platforms and apps are deliberately engineered to keep you scrolling and watching in a way that an old-fashioned book just can't right like if it was a book it can't then just like send you a notification that, that there's a cliffhanger on page 34 it's not going to do that in the way that you're getting a notification about some i don't know clickbaity news story that then you click on and then suddenly 20 minutes have passed oh that's so true one of the things that struck me from the book and you just touched on it there but like that that slight nuance between fun and and pleasurable or enjoyable activities and you mentioned that it's still really worthwhile doing something that might touch on two of these elements and that's often what we do describe as pleasurable right yes i think that's an important point so one of the goals of the book is to help people just shift the orientation of their lives towards fun so kind of think about fun as a north star you're not always going to be headed directly towards it but you're just going to go in that direction because the problem right now is that we are not oriented towards playfulness and connection and flow we're oriented towards anxiety and fear and perfectionism and stress and all the divisions that you know that keep us apart from one another and in a way that makes total sense because that's how our brains are wired to work there's an evolutionary advantage to focusing on things that cause us anxiety and fear because they might represent threats. And if you're not in tune with threats, you know, you could get killed. Like it's not good for your species. So our brains have evolved to be very, very tuned into the things that could hurt us. That's why clickbaity things that talk about murder and like, you know, the old news ad, it bleeds, it leads are true because we will seek those things out naturally. So part of the point here is to fight back against our brain's natural tendencies and to retrain ourselves to start to shift in this different direction. And yeah, it's wonderful, absolutely wonderful if you manage to hit the bullseye of playful connected flow with all three of those states happening at once. But it's also really great if you have two of those, if you have a sense of playful connection with someone just for an instant, or if you have um, flow in a playful way on your own, that's great. And it's even good if you have them on their own. Playfulness, connection, and flow are each great for us on their own. 
So the point is not to really obsess over whether or not you're having full on true fun in every moment of your life. <laughs> totally impossible. <laughs> and a fool's errand. It's just to feel like you've kind of shifted your compass, that you're headed in a different direction most of the time. And then be kind to yourself if you drift in the other direction, because that's where your brain naturally wants to go. I think what your definition gave me was sort of like some markers in the sand that, like you said, that direction back towards fun, that ability to orient back towards the things that are going to bring me this true sense of inner joy and fun. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a, a way to check in with yourself and to keep yourself headed in the right direction by giving you some targets to point towards. Because I think it's really too amorphous and vague to say something like, I want to be happy. (laughs) <laughs> like, wants to be happy right like someone pointed out to me um i thought this was a great point he was like you know if you asked me am i happy we could have a philosophical conversation for an hour and still not figure out what it is but if you ask me did i have fun last weekend i could just tell you i can quickly scan last weekend and tell you yes or no i did or did not have fun and so it's much more tangible to begin with but then even defining, you know, or thinking of fun as a priority isn't really enough to put it into action. And that's why I really like the idea of defining it as playfulness and connection and flow, because that is one step further towards turning into something that is no longer quite so nebulous, but instead is something that's a little bit more under our control. I love it. I do want to circle back on the point that you made briefly, which I assume you get a lot around this connection element and the introvert extrovert kind of components. I personally don't like, you know, big groups, but you've really highlight in the book that even the very introverted among us still tend to find a sense of fun and communion with others. Can you just go over some of your insights around that particular point? Sure. So I think there that it is possible in some cases to have true fun when you're alone. And I think there still is an element of connection there. It's just not necessarily with another person. Like, for example, when you're having true fun, you're connected with your authentic self. And if you haven't been connected with that part of yourself for a while, that can be itself a catalyst for true fun. Or you might be feeling really connected with your physical environment, or perhaps you're really connected with your physical body, because we spend so much of life just acting as if we're heads walking around on bodies, as I think it was Sir Ken Robbins. You know, there actually is a body there. But one thing that really fascinated me when I asked people to share with me stories from their own lives in which they had what they would describe as fun, is that most of those examples had other people in them. And I actually asked people point blank, I said, What's, is, was there anything about the answers you just gave me that surprised you? And I saw a number of people said, what surprised me is that I'm a self-proclaimed introvert. And yet the stories I told you all had to do with other people. They all happen with other people around. And what that made me conclude is it's not so much about whether or not we, like the difference between introverts is not so much about whether or not we enjoy human contact. It's sort of the type of connections that we find nourishing and that we gravitate towards. So introverts would probably like a small, more intimate setting than an extrovert. Or maybe an introvert would like a larger setting where they have a sense of anonymity versus an extrovert wanting to be in a party where they're engaged and everyone's attention is on them. So it's less about the whether or not connection feels good and more the type of connection that feels good. But I thought that was a really interesting takeaway that surprised me too. Yeah, I was just like... My first, my first thought was when I read connection, like, do I have fun and connection with others? And when I started to go a little deeper, I would say I'm an ambivert, but I tend towards the introverted side. 
you just explained it so beautifully. I was like, yeah, I do have fun with others, but I don't want superficial connection. I want these deep, this deeper, smaller, more intimate connection. And then it is, it's my place to have fun. I think, yeah, I think it has to do with what contexts enable you to let down your guard. I think that's one of the fundamental differences is that an extrovert might, I mean, we always talk about what you get energy from, right? That's true too. But I think there's also an element of where do you feel the most comfortable? Are you able to let down your guard in the context of people that you don't know well or in a bigger group? Or do you feel more comfortable when it's a smaller group with people you know more intimately? Or again, maybe it's with strangers, right? Like we share a lot of things with strangers on the plane that you wouldn't think you'd be sharing with other people. So I think it's a, there's a certain element of like, where do you feel comfortable being vulnerable that goes into it as well? For sure. Which I think brings us to the fact that the second half of your book, I was like, gosh, she's written this book so well. The first half is, is all about the explanation, the understanding, the why, and then you move to the how, because I feel like so many of us are just, like I said earlier, like, how, but how do I have more fun? I, I don't even know where to start. And you have these really practical pointers of where we can get going. So one of the ones that you talk about is the fun audit. Could you touch a little bit on what a fun audit is? <laughs> yes, because it sounds very not fun. <laughs> It's kind of like doing your taxes and tax season, which we're in right now. <laughs> no, I would think of it more now if I were to go back and re rebrand that section, like a fun intervention might be a more Ooh, fun Oh, a right? fun intervention. We're going to call it a fun intervention. Yeah, if there we read go. read the book, just look for fun audit, but just cross it out and write fun intervention. Yes. Although I do, you know, there is, I mean, the part of the audit, like the point of that is basically to help you look over your own life and actually identify past moments of fun so you can start to pull out themes. So there isn't, like, it is a legit term, but it just doesn't sound very fun. But yeah. <laughs> So as you alluded or just said, the, the first half of the book is meant to explore what fun is, why it's good for us, you know, make the case for fun. But then the second half is really trying to make it even more tangible because even if you say, okay, fun is playful, connected flow, like that's a step in the right direction, but great. Like how do I actually have more playful, connected flow? What are some concrete steps I could take today to do that? So that's what I wanted to really help people, including myself do. So the first thing I suggest that people do is exactly what I had these volunteers do when they were helping me with the research for the project, which is scan through your own life and see if you can call to mind like three to five experiences that stand out as having truly been fun. I think the terminology I used when I first posed this question was, tell me about a time that was so fun. And the so was all caps. It was very scientific. Um, <laughs> but you know, it was so interesting to see what people told me because these moments that, again, going back to the, the misconception we have that fun has to take place in an exotic location or that it has to involve a lot of money or free time or that you, you know, that wasn't true. Like, sure, some of the things people told me were about vacations to faraway locales, but a lot of them were just these tiny little moments that were so mundane that you'd think they would be forgettable, but they actually were some of the most treasured memories of people's lives. You know, someone told me one particularly sweet example was, you know, someone going out in the rain with their grandfather without an umbrella and they got deliberately soaked. And that just stood out in this person's mind as a, as a treasured memory that was so fun and the special experience she had with her grandfather. Or another was a person told me about squishing mud through her toes with her friend Margaret when they were teenagers. And she's like, I don't know what was particularly so fun about it, but it's maybe the mud was messy, but it really stood out in her mind years later as having been really fun. And that's not fancy. Like that's just, you just need a rainstorm for both of those <laughs> examples. 
another person told me about learning to play the drums when she was in her 50s and how she was having these moments of true fun in the pandemic when she would go down to her own basement to practice. And every time she did so, her husband and their two sons would hear her and come down and crash her session. And they would join in on their own instruments and they would have these informal jam sessions. And she said, yeah, you wouldn't believe the joy and playfulness that those moments bring me. So I think it's really lovely to look back on your own life and call to mind some of these experiences and notice that, sure, some of them might have happened when you were doing something exotic or expensive, but a lot of them might have been really small moments that were just mundane, but that really stand out as treasured experiences. And the reason I think it's useful to do that, I mean, in part, it is to make the point that you can have fun in your everyday life. But a, but another is that you can start to pull out themes. You can start to notice are there particular people who pop up again and again when you reflect on your past fun experiences? Are there particular activities that seem to be involved? Are there settings that are conducive to fun? Because you can't guarantee that any of those things are going to produce fun, right? Like if you ha have a dinner party one night with a particular group of friends, and then you have the same people over another night, you might have a much more fun time one night than the other. There's an element of serendipity, but you can set the stage for fun. So if you can call out these activities and settings and people that are the most likely to produce playful connected flow for you personally, then you've given yourself a tool to actually counterintuitive though it may sound plan for fun. So in other words, I can't say like this weekend, I'm going to have fun from three to 5 PM. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like that's what fun is doing. That's that you just brought fun. To, like, it's laughing at me and it's like running in the other. It's like, you will not, but I can tell you that I know I always have fun when I hang out with this particular group of friends playing music together. And so I can put that on my calendar. I can say, I am going to make a point of getting together with them. And I don't know if it's going to be the most mind blowing experience of fun that we've ever had together, but I know for sure it's much more likely to produce fun for me than it would be if I spent that same period of time alone on my couch, like scrolling through the, the news. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, so again, it takes fun from this abstract concept into something that you can set the stage for and make more likely, make it more likely for it to occur. Yeah, I, I was so struck by that as an element to your message as well, that we can set the scene for fun, but I really thought of it as like fun's a byproduct that you can't control directly. You can only add all of the, you know, elements that, that are likely to lead to it, but we don't have control over whether or not we're going to have fun. Well, I think it was interesting because it's like a delicate balance between those two things. Because on the one hand, right, exactly, we can't force fun. I mean, again, it's like romance, right? But then we do have more control than we realize. And that's something I think came to me a little late in the process of writing my own book. Because at first I'm like, oh, no, it's, it's all about the experience. It's not about just packing your schedule with activities. Because that's what many people think when they think, I'm going to have more fun. I'm just going to get busier. That's not fun. <laughs> but then the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, wait, no, there actually are some practical things we can do to make it more likely. You know? Yes. And like, that, and that was really exciting to me. And one of the fundamental principles there that I, that I recommend people keep in mind is just the idea of always trying to have something to look forward to. You know, and just that idea, I want to have something to look forward to, that itself is going to prompt you to reflect on, well, what do I actually enjoy? Like, what could I do that I would look forward to? I was just talking to someone um, today. I'm, I'm doing an event for a park here in Philadelphia. And I, it just occurred to me that the seasons are this beautiful opportunity to find things to look forward to. It's a naturally built-in cycle that can actually help you put that idea into practice. So like, for example, I'm really excited about tapping my parents' sugar maple tree. And then in April, I'm really excited about going out with my husband and looking for morel mushrooms, which is something we got into in the, um, 
in the past couple of years. They're delicious and they come out in early April. And then summertime brings its own things to look forward to. And so does the winter. So if you're like totally drawing a blank of what could you possibly look forward to, maybe start with the natural rhythm of the seasons and see if you can find some things to look forward to and then take it from there. This is one of the reasons I love living in Minnesota, being a New Zealander, is that the the clear delineation between the seasons brings me so much joy. Because in New Zealand, there's, it just kind of blends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, Catherine, putting you on the spot, when was the last time you had fun? What were you doing? <laughs> oh, man, I've had a fair amount of fun this week. And that's pretty, I mean, I'm... I'm Wow. Okay. I think I'm impressed with myself because I haven't left the house really for the past week because I'm, I'm very COVID cautious and I'm like really in restricted mode, but I did have a couple instances. For example, I, you know, did tests and got together with my music friends on the weekend and we spent three hours playing music together and just feeling like teenagers. <laughs> that was truly fun. Or I, we, my husband and I adopted a dog not a pandemic puppy. It's just a full grown dog, but I've really been having fun with her just playing with the dog. Like that's an example where, am I going to remember that three years from now? Like the moment I spent yesterday morning, like rubbing her ears? No, probably not. I'm not going to, but in the moment it really boosted my spirits um, and added to my collection of fun or, you know, doing a project with my daughter like she's gotten really into this particular song um and so she and I have been playing that together and singing along so I think that it's been really useful to me to write a book about fun during a global pandemic even though it was certainly challenging (laughs) it really like forced me to appreciate these smaller moments of fun that we can either create for ourselves or that already exist but we haven't yet appreciated them and named them and therefore we're not really deriving the full joy that they could potentially offer i think the naming is just the naming is what struck me this past weekend because i was snowmobiling with a close friend and um, it was just him and i and we both had one of our sons and I knew I enjoyed that activity, but because I have been listening to your book, I've, I've had it on Audible, I was like, oh, I'm having fun. Like, this is <laughs> playful, connected flow. All three elements are present in this for me. And the naming of it, honestly, I feel like that gave me such an extra boost from it. It was, it, that moment didn't pass me by. I could acknowledge it because I had this concept of fun firmly rooted. That's wonderful to hear. I mean, and that's exactly the experience I've had and that I encourage people to, to try is that once you start to notice these opportunities for playfulness and connection and flow and then call fun out when it happens, you can actually really benefit from that because you appreciate it more and you absorb its potential power more. And then it also gives you a better sense of how to allocate your time going forward. It's like now you know that that snowmobiling with this particular friend is something that typically generates true fun for you. So if you're given the opportunity on a future weekend to do it, you probably should say yes. Whereas, right. you know, maybe previously you might have said, oh, I don't know. I've got a bunch of stuff on my to-do list. I'm not really sure if I should do that. But now you're like, no, that was actually nourishing and energizing and worth my time and should be a priority. And that I think is really important. It can help us set our priorities. I agree wholeheartedly. And I noticed that immediately. I'd, I'd been listening to your book on the drive up to the cabin where, where he has his snowmobiles. And I was like, oh my gosh. And now I'm having fun. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, 
now I want to go snowmobiling. I've never it is really fun. It seems for you. So trying new things, that's another fun thing. But you know, as you're asking me, when's the last time I had fun? I, I just realized like another thing that's really fun is anything that's mildly rebellious or mildly, mildly deviates from what a normal adult is supposed to do. And I think that's kind of fun to play around with in our minds. Like, what would you get a kick out of? What could you do just for yourself that would make you feel like a little naughty? So like the other day, um, my husband and I actually met up with some friends who they've got three kids and we have one kid, you know, it's really hard to coordinate times to see friends who have kids. So we're like, wait a second, we all have pretty flexible schedules. Why don't we meet on a weekday morning and just hang out together? Oh, right. And like, (laughs) That is not that crazy, but it felt kind of crazy. And I found myself really looking forward to it. It's kind of like adult hooky. And, and it and just the, the it wouldn't have been quite as fun if that had happened at five of the evening. Like there was just something that felt rebelliously delightful about the fact that we, quote, weren't supposed to be doing that right then. So just little things like that. I think it's, it, again, it's more accessible than we realize. We just have to start orienting ourselves towards the idea of fun. I think I might have some of the same things that bring me fun, fun, like that are my fun, fun precursors, because I'm just thinking about how excited I am that we might this year put in the little lake that we have a shack on. Uh, I want to get a slide on top of a dock. And this is only for me. It's not for my kids. I mean, my kids will enjoy (laughs) it, but I can't wait to go down that slide and just splash into the water because I think it's something that an adult wouldn't typically do. Yes, I think that's exactly it. Yeah, it's like, I actually was just reading about the, I think it's called the National, no, it's the National Children's Museum in DC. And there's a slide that kids can go down to get into the museum. And then this article was talking about how, well, you know, adults can take the stairs next to the slide. Like, why the heck, why would the adults take the stairs? Like, just get on the slide. Oh, that's <laughs> Literally so and metaphorically, you know, so I completely endorse that. I would totally visit your lakeside shack and go down the slide. Yeah, it's so good. Which I think brings me to one other point I wanted to touch on is that we don't all have the same fun factors and you list factors is it factors or magnets i might be getting them confused it's both yeah so you list a whole bunch of potential factors in the book and encourage people to kind of identify which factors resonate with them but also highlight that your spouse or someone else close to you may have different things which i think is so important to acknowledge can you tell us a little bit more about those fun factors and magnets yeah um so Again, going back to the idea of trying to turn playful, connected flow into something that we actually can, you know, do something with. I realized that while the definition of true fun is universal, I really do think it's this state of playful, connected flow. We each find that in different ways. So as I was alluding to earlier, we each personally have a collection of activities and settings and people that are more likely than other things to generate fun for us. And that's what I think of as fun magnets. So for example, again, for me, playing music would be one of those or swing dancing would be another. For my husband, it would be something like hiking, you know, camping. Those are fun magnets for him. So that itself can be useful to kind of tease out like, what these specific things are because it helps you set your priorities better and it helps you also figure out things you should do together and then things that might be better to do on your own. But then if you want to take it a step further and really torque out on fun, you can also ask yourself, well, what are the characteristics of these things that make them fun for me? What are the characteristics of these fun magnets? Right? Like for me, music is clearly a characteristic or um, nature is one. And that's definitely one for my husband as well or physicality or maybe it's big groups versus small groups. And that's what I call fun factors, the characteristics that typically 
produce fun for us. And the reason I think it can be useful to go down to that level, to go from the fun magnets, like the broader people setting activities idea, down to the characteristics that make those things fun for us, is it can then help us brainstorm new things to try. So if you know, for example, like music and physicality are two fun factors for me. So that led me to try capoeira, like the Brazilian martial art form that combines music and dancing and martial arts. Um, So if you start to pull out these characteristics, it can give you new options. And novelty itself can be a really great way to find fun. I loved the fun factors list. I was like, this is so useful because I really did see that this can help me clarify what it is that is likely to help me set that scene. And I did laugh because it helped me also realize, Catherine, that I like control. I like to be in control. <laughs> I like to be the planner of what we're doing so that I know what's coming next because that allows me to relax. <laughs> it's funny, when I was writing the book, I think I actually said, you know, one of my fun factors is control. And one of my friends who was helping to edit the book, like, you know, they were leaving comments in the margin and the, the, it was like the little balloon popped up and it goes, understatement. <laughs> I was like, okay, they know me well. But yes, exactly. Like some people might really need to feel in control of the situation to have fun. Other people might really find fun more when they lose control. You know, so it's interesting to kind of think about our own personalities and our past experiences and try to figure out what does allow us to enter this state of playful, connected flow. And I think it can be a fun exercise to just, if you do go to that level and come up with your fun factors, like share them with someone who maybe doesn't know you too well and then say, I'm just going to say these things. Like what are some activities or things that come to mind that you think I should try and just see what happens? Because that, that could be a fun way to kind of brainstorm new ideas. I love it all. You can see I'm like totally 100% behind everything you have outlined in this book, The Power of Fun. And everyone, you need to go and get your copy. I mean, I have two. I have the paperback and now the Audible. And I have to admit, I do really enjoy listening to you read it, Catherine. It made it more fun for me. Oh, that's good to hear because that was a weird experience. That was like, you know, several days spent in this basement listening to your own voice. (laughs) I was like, it makes it pop off the page when you you read it. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. (laughs) How many days does it take to record a book? It must be a long time. It took a long time. And I remember at some point I said to the sound engineer, I was like, I can't believe how many pages I still have to go. And he's like, don't think about that. It's like, okay, okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I have so enjoyed our conversation today. Uh, Just wrapping up, if you were to point people towards anything today as a place to kind of get started with fun, what would you encourage? Well, I'd say um, I'm putting together resources at howtohavefun.com. So I'd say sign up there. But I'd also say that one of the easiest ways to start that I'd recommend that I find particularly useful is to just start a practice of noticing delights. So just noticing things each day that delight you. And that's an idea I got from this poet named Ross Gay, who wrote a book called The Book of Delights about things that delighted him. And it's very simple because these delights do not need to be big. It could be the sight of a little pretty bird, you know, or the like right now I'm looking at a nice ray of sunshine that's hitting my table in a way that's bringing out the grain and the wood and I'm finding that delightful. Um, And then when you notice these things, stick a finger in the air and say out loud, delight, even if it's quiet, but try to say it out loud because it actually makes it more effective. And it's even better if you share them with friends. So for example, I actually... In a, you know, and as an example of how to use technology for good, I 
have a delight text chain going on with a number of different friends and some group delight text too. And basically what we do is if we see something that delights us, we take a picture and we send it to each other and then we write delight with an exclamation point. And every time I receive one of these or send them, but it, it, it makes the delight almost contagious. You receive a delight, you feel delighted, and then you're more inspired to seek out delight yourself. And I think that's a really useful, easy practice that we can do to start to shift our minds from what you and I were speaking about in terms of our natural inclination to focus on anxiety and fear towards things that are more positive. Just as one example, I recently received one from a friend of mine who lives in Boston, and it was pictures of crystals, ice crystals on his windshield that he noticed one morning, and he said delight. And I thought that was such a perfect example because he had two choices when he encountered his car covered in ice that morning. <laughs> One was to say, I'm going to be late. This sucks. Like now I have to scrape my car. And maybe he was also feeling those things, but he was also able to say, but you know what? Like those ice crystals are beautiful and kind of delightful. And I'm going to take a picture and I'm going to send that picture to my friend whom I haven't seen for more than two years and share that delight with her. And he chose that path. And as a result, he had a moment of delight and then he gave one to me and it made me want to notice more delights myself. So I think that that's a really easy way for people to start. Oh, what a wonderful idea. I'm going to start my delight chain. I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh, delights. I love delights. And I hope that you will be looking for delights in your life too. What a cool way to frame it. It's like next level gratitude practice, playfulness, connection, and flow. Those are the practical elements that Catherine grounds her discovery of true fun in. I encourage you to go and get a copy of her book. I said I have the paperback, which is a total lie because it's not out in paperback. I have the hardcover book, which is beautiful. And also I listened on Audible, which I found really great. Thanks for putting in that effort for recording it for us, Catherine. You can find more around how to have a fun intervention, a fun intervention over at howtohavefun.com. This book is called The Power of Fun. Catherine's first book is called How to Break Up With Your Phone. Go and find her. Catherine's also a speaker, so if you want to learn more about that, you can head to catherineprice.com. Thank you all for being here, beautiful people. If Here to Thrive is something you appreciate in your life, it would mean so much to me if you could take the time to write a review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people see the show. It helps Apple realize the show isn't a load of crap, all of the above. So it really does help us out. Okay, beautiful people, I will be back week after next with some more thoughts to just keep you inspired and help you live a wonderful life. Until next time, keep thriving, beautiful people. Keep thriving. <laughs>